ATV Talk, the podcast. Sit down with your host industry professional, Leonard Duncan, as the men and women from the ATV world bring their behind-the-scenes stories to life. Every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. And remember, dream big. It could be your story one day. Brought to you by Take-Two Custom Teams. Screen printing experience that is dedicated to quality and customer service every time. Hi, Marty. Uh, thanks for coming on ATV Talk. I'm going to be Leonard. I'm Leonard Duncan. I'm your host. And uh, let's talk some um, old three-wheeler days. Gotcha. What, what, uh, what was it like back in the, in the, in the beginning when, uh, you got into three wheelers? Well, I mean, obviously that was a long time ago, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it was kind of like dinosaur stage. Uh, you know, I mean, it was just, I got in it, I guess probably 77, eight, somewhere along in there when we first started on 185 S's. So that's how long ago it was. Um, and, you know, we just won a bunch of stuff around Louisiana and kind of wanted to try our shot at, at the big dogs because it was, they were all headed to Knoxville, Iowa for a race. And that's where it all kind of broke loose for me. Well, when you went to Knoxville, what were you riding at 185S? No, we actually were riding uh, 175 Trimotos, believe it or not, the Yamahas. Um, they made a kit. They were 125s, and then uh, 3B Lightning built a kit for them that made them 175s. So I was able to go up there and race uh, in the 200 class and in the 250 class. I just entered both because I didn't have a clue. I was you know, a little redneck from Louisiana and just uh, wanted to try a shot and see how we did against the big dogs. And uh, we, we ended up you know, winning the thing. I don't even know how, but we did. But I mean, what they did, they actually ended up, you ran all your motos and then it rained before the mains came. And then that's how they distributed out the winners. But I guess, so I ended up winning it. But um, but that's how I actually got my recognized recognition initially. Uh, and then, you know, obviously Honda had their team and I met up with Stevie Wright and uh, Billy Talley and all those guys from 3B. And so they actually said, look, man, moved to the West coast. So I, that's where you, you know, it's just a shot in the dark, but I, I did make a good impression and that was the start of my career right there. And, and you lived in Monroe? Well, South of Monroe, Columbia, Louisiana, a little town, South of Monroe. And uh, then moved to the West coast, you know, to San Diego and lived in Alcohol for 10 years and, and made a, you know, made a living racing ATVs, which is, Hard to do. Really hard to do. <laughs> than it is now. Yes. So when you got to El Cajon, you rode for 3B Lightning. Yes. How long did that? Yeah, it took me, uh, I rode for those guys, um, I think nine months. Uh, Brock Glover, you know, he was still with Yamaha then. And so he had a connection with Yamaha. So we were able to, you know, get parts and, and a little bit of support there. We weren't like a factory team or anything, but we did get some support and 3D Lightning was, you know, helping me. And, and uh, so that's kind of, you know, it was just a work in progress because really, you know, when I went out there, you know, I thought I was somebody maybe that, you know, I could compete. Well, we went to Saddleback and I mean, you know, for a lap or two, I could hang, but 
after that, they would they would run off and leave me because I wasn't in shape. I didn't even know what training and all that was about until I moved to the West Coast. And uh, so uh, I think Dean had won 39 straight motos when I finally beat him. It took me nine months. They had a thing called Baja Cross, and it was in Chula Vista at Speedway 117. And uh, so we went down there, and, and uh, I beat him. And that was the whole start of the Honda deal. They're like, no, we're not having that. So, you know, they hired me right right then and uh, said, what's it going to take? And so we went over there and started, you know, that's when we switched over to Honda. And what year was that? Uh, 82, I think. I think it was 82. So you were with Honda uh, quite a few years. Yeah, I think about seven or eight years altogether. That's that's pretty good stint. Yeah, it was. It was a fun fun way to grow up. You know, you're a kid. You're just living the dream. Obviously, you have to understand. I'm in from a one red light town, and I left home with five hundred dollars in my pocket and everything I owned in the back of a Toyota short bed four wheel drive truck. <laughs> so uh, when you leave, you know you're you're chasing the dream. And I didn't care about money. I didn't care about any of that. I just wanted to ride. I've always loved racing, and I still do to this day. I, I'm 59 now, and I just retired last year. Kyle and I, uh, we finished first and second in the in a cross-country series we were doing and just enjoying. I, I enjoy racing as hard right now as I did back then. But uh, I just have a lot more experience at it now. I'm just kind of in the next phase of my my life is watching him and, and watching him mature. Uh, he's already got three championships. And right now he's working on his fourth one this year. We got two to go, and uh, he's led it from start to finish so far. Again, some tough competition. You didn't let the kid beat you, did you? I did. Sure ah. did. <laughs> I guess he retired me <laughs> because I, I don't like getting beat, but I can't hang with him. I mean, he's fast, and, uh, you know, I just can't read it as fast as I used to. We race iron half through the woods, and – and it's just something to be said for that youth because they can read it and they can read it for, you know, an hour and a half or two hours or whatever you got to do it. But I mean, I could do it, but, uh, better than most, but not better than the best. That's what counts. Wow. That's, that's, that's something coming from the Marty Hart that I know, you know, age does affect us all. And I I see it in just the portion that I do, and I'm not riding them. I'm only working on them. <laughs> it matters, but you know that's one you just gotta. Do, do. I mean, believe me, I've raced my whole freaking life. I mean, I started when I was like 15 or 16, and when you get to race to your 59, I'm for God's sake, that's crazy to have that kind of extended career and still be really competitive. Um, we were out at Texplex a couple weeks ago, and. And we were racing the short course series. It's a big series that's starting up for UTVs. And, and uh, so RJ was out there and, and Ronnie and Hunter Miller and Cody and, you know, Kyle. So they're all, you know, competing. Well, RJ wasn't, but the Ronnie and, uh, and Hunter and Cody were. But it was just really fun to watch them. And they're just like, you know, they're building this series up even bigger for next year. And they're like, yeah, we're going to have to get you to come out of retirement. I'm like, you know, you guys are crazy. You know, we're talking 25-year-olds or younger, and uh, and they're fast, and they get it on. And I think next year is going to be an ex- extremely competitive series when you're going to have eight guys in the UTB Pro class, Pro Turbo class, that actually can compete for the win. 
that's going back in time to get a series that actually has that. Because usually someone matures in every year and every series and they just dominate. But this particular series actually has guys that's within tenths of a second for guys right now. So, uh, and you put in a whole group from out West and I think it's going to be a, an awesome series to watch. That's cool. That's cool. I'll have to sit with, I'll have to sit with Kyle and, and get his take on some of the things that, that he's lived through watching his dad um, and listening to some of the stories. But really what the people want to know is, is as you transition through the time with Honda, um, when did you become the dominant force at Honda? Immediately? No, no. Um, you know, we, we kind of, you know, it's like anything else. Everybody has their time. You know, Dean was king when, when I came through. And I guess you could say I dethroned him because, you know, he was the man. And then when I came in, you know, it took me, I got beat for the first, say, probably six months. Uh, and then it took me uh, once, I guess, to learn and understand the training aspect of it as well as the competitive aspect on how to win and how to compete week in and week out because we had so many races every every uh weekend you know you didn't really have a lot of weekends off you were either in the desert or you were racing short course flat track uh or motocross and you were traveling all over the country doing this so you didn't have any time off so you had to understand that your job is at high risk but you had to have the smarts you know people are like oh that guy's crazy you know he races all the stuff you do actually the the guys who are are, are crazy is the ones that went home in ambulances all the time. But when you could go in there and say, I got to compete in the top three for weekend after weekend after weekend. And I just stacked up championships because I learned how to race within myself. Cause on certain days, Jimmy would be fast or Mike Coe would be fast. You know what I mean? So you had just kind of understand, I guess that's how I ended up with so many championships because I've always raced kind of within myself. And I tried to get those podiums and, uh, and get out of there and go to the next one. Like Boyd, Texas was one of my – it was always a bunch of fast guys around Boyd, Texas, and I think I only won it one time. But I would get my butt handed to me every time i go there because those guys were absolutely crazy. And it, I just – I don't know what it was about it, but I think I won everywhere else there is. But but that particular track had a lot of fast guys. and uh, and uh, But I always – I watched a guy one time. I guess it psyched me out because I went down uh, – well, I <clears throat> went down the – front straight at one time, Bob Hanna gave my mechanic a front brake, um, some kind of front brake caliper that's super high zoot. So I, I tested it. Well, when I went down the front straight, it was like a little rise and a drop off off the back straight. And I tapped that freaking front brake and it locked up and I went over the freaking handlebars. But anyways, that was one of my memories. You don't want to memory that place. But, but anyways, I watched a guy that had a four by eight, plywood fence around this place and he ran through it going one way he ran off the track ran through it and then when i made i made a curve or something i went around the course when i come back the other way he busted back through the fence coming back on the course <laughs> so when you're racing against guys like that it's, it's a reason to be nervous but but anyways like i say i think that was why i was so successful i learned when to go fast and when not to and and um and when to compete you know, or how to compete week in and week out. One of the very first nationals I got to go to, um, I'm not even sure what year it was. It was Porterville. And this was before uh, you and Lauren had had met up when we yep. were racing. 
And I watched you pass Mendenhall between a tractor tire and him, and there was no room. There, you, there was no room for you to pass him there, and you passed him. <laughs> and to this day, I still haven't figured it out because every time I hit a tractor tire, I ended up on my head. Yeah, especially on three well, you rubbed yeah. the tire and him <laughs> and, and, and took the lead and ended up winning the race. And it was, I mean, right there, I was hooked as a fan forever because you just, that was superhuman. You can't, you can't do that. And you did it. Well, I don't, I don't know. It's just, you probably you know, don't you remember that. Yeah. You probably don't even remember. No, I don't. I mean, I just, that's what I was kind of, you know, I, I just so it's been so long ago, and I I always I don't ever live in the past, and I have all these guys on you know they they do Facebook and they're into three wheelers now, and they invited me to go to this Legends deal, and you know I'm still racing, so I'm like still trying to win more championships, and and these guys want to live back in the '80s, you know, or whatever, but they still race three wheelers today is what's crazy, and uh, they wanted me to come up there and and they want to interact about it. Uh, matter of fact, the guy the other day. His name is Dwight Jekyll. I think that's his name. He's friends with me on Facebook. Where he posts all this stuff. He still races. But he had actually sold a friend of mine a three-wheeler. He called me wanting a three-wheeler. And I'm like, dude, I don't have any three-wheelers. And, you know, I don't, I don't just don't live in that day anymore. But anyhow, the guy says, well, I'll sell it to you. He can find one on the internet. He said, the guy, the guy says, I'll sell it to you if you'll have Marty sit on it and take his picture and send it back to me. <laughs> so that's what the guy said then he did he brought it over here and i sat on it he took a picture and so that made his day you know which was cool i was glad to do it but uh i just it's weird that people are so into three-wheelers still to this day well yeah there's a huge resurgence with modifying uh the dirt bikes and turning them into three-wheelers um, right. some of the guys seem to have it down some of them don't you know it just depends on on who you talk to and 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 look at some of the ways they construct them. Right. I'm, not, I'm not doing it, so I shouldn't be picking it apart. <laughs> we can't help it. It's in our nature. <laughs> <laughs> so when you uh, started racing, um, I've heard some of the stories about Baja. You know, you've talked a little bit about it. I've talked to Mike Coe a little bit about it. And was it really in the beginning as, as, Harry as they as it sounded it's it's really crazy if you really want to get down to it before when we did it um it's just uh you know I went over the summit the first time I ever raced it I'll tell you a little story I went over the summit Dean and I had pre-run it that night or, or you know ahead of time and uh but anyways we were going along there and and uh so I kept hearing or feeling this stuff hit my boots, like your shin guards on your, on your boots. So Dean was ahead of me. And so we were just pre-running at night, this section, we were clicking along pretty good. And, uh, so I come pulling up and, you know, my lights was on his, you know, just sitting up there island. But anyway, when I got to him, he was standing there and his knees from his knees down was just blood red, but it was actually rabbits that we were hitting. And that's and both, and when I got off and stood in front of mine, mine was was bloody, and it was the craziest thing. But I mean, that's just one thing I remember about that Baja stuff. But the first time I ever did Baja, 
I always wanted to do it, but you know, obviously I'm not from the West Coast, so I don't understand Mexico and, and the whole desert deal or whatever. So I went over to the summit anyways, ended up getting lost, spent the night out there, and I got the really coolest story because I got lost and I'm out on this road, middle of nowhere. And I mean, it's like I don't know what it's probably like twelve or one o'clock in the morning. And uh here comes this old guy in this truck, like a flatbed truck with the big bumper, old truck. He couldn't speak, you know, um, uh, you know, English, and I couldn't speak Spanish. So we're communicating. But so I need Petro, right? So like, well, I keep saying Petro. <clears throat> and so he don't understand that I got to mix gas and oil to get it. I'm out of gas. <clears throat> so this guy siphons gas out. And, you know, and I, I got to try to show him oil you know and so i get underneath the truck i take him on and i punch i point to his oil drain plug and he allows me to undo it drain some oil out of there and put it back in put an oil drain plug he must have thought i was crazy and i poured it in my gas tank and that's how i made it out to the highway <laughs> but that's crazy but that's what mexico used to be it wasn't like you were going to have somebody know where you were right if you got lost or you got hurt and all nowhere you know, you were there. So it wasn't like a GPS or wasn't radios. I mean, they kind of had an idea where you were between point A and point B. You know, we had 50-mile pit areas, right? So they kind of knew you were somewhere out there. But if you get lost and you're 15, 20 miles off course, you know, there wasn't a helicopter flying around trying to find you like it is today. I mean, a lot of those guys were just followed all the time. GPS tells them where they are. And if they get lost or where the next bump is or whatever, you better be paying attention where the down airs are. And, you know, that was true, honest Mexico, whenever you, you know, there was no down air. I mean, they were, but half the time they were knocked down or somebody would pull them up. So it was just a true challenge, which it is today, too, because those guys are going fast. And, and but that was just kind of raw Mexico um, when I was doing it. And if you listen to the older guys than myself, they'll tell you it's even more raw. So uh, but it was cool and it was a good way to grow up and it was a good learning experience. But I never got lost after that. And I was able to win the ball 1002 so that was always a, a cool memory did you win a scored title yes i don't remember what year it was but i won the it was score hdra at that time and uh we won that and uh won the desert title and the 250 short course title motocross title the same year and you don't remember what year that was no i don't i want to say it was probably like 84 ish uh, somewhere around the there. water cooled or after? Oh, that's a good question. It would be after. It was definitely water cool days. So it was 85. Because, or... see, those went away early, I think. They were like in 84. Didn't they switch over 85 to water cooled? In 85, you switched to water cooled. Yeah. So everything was like 85, 86, somewhere in that range. Uh, but we did. We um, I can't remember what year we overall, you know, that year we finished third overall. Mike and uh, myself and uh, Mike, let's see. I forget who was with me. That's crazy, isn't it? But we, us three, three-man team, we finished third and fourth in the Bob 1000 overall. Only two bikes beat us. Wow. On three wars. Yeah, that's crazy. Because I never will forget Gaston Rainier. He was sponsored by uh, Marlboro, Playboy. He had one parish of the car like seven times. Gaston Rainier, he came up to me and he said, man, I want to shake your hand. He said, I never would have ever thought I'd get beat by a three-wheeler. <laughs> <laughs> if, you, 
and he was racing that BMW that he raced on all those ter- car races, you know? Right. And, um, but he sure did. He said, man, I'm going to shake your hand. We're at the press deal at the end. And he said, I never thought I'd get beat by a three-wheeler. But he said, I did. So that was pretty cool. That was pretty cool. Yeah. So when you um, quit, you quit racing three-wheelers in, in 86, right? Yeah, I think that was the last year. Yes, 86. And then you yep. transferred to the to the 87 on the four tracks, right? And is that when you started uh, Lauren? Well, yeah, that's when Honda kind of canned the team, you know, and they kept me on for, you know, they, they kind of canned everybody else. And they let me keep a team truck, and they put me under rider education. So I was the only guy, I think, doing that. You know, they kind of let everybody else go. And so we traveled around and did some select races. I don't think we competed for a series. We just kind of went and done some some races here and there. But, you know, honestly, my heart wasn't in it because, you know, you go from being the man to being like, you know, there's no factory support anymore. You know, you want you live for beating like the Kawasaki guys, Suzuki guys. You know what I mean? The team trucks are there. And that's kind of what you live for is that, you know, factory competition i did and so when you're riding around and you're just kind of you know you're just lost honestly you just kind of don't have a real direction because you just went from being a hero to zero and you're trying to kind of find racing and and what it's all about so my heart really wasn't in it in 87 honestly i mean i won some races but uh i just wasn't in it you know i think uh in 88, we went back out, or 89, I think, Lauren and I said, look, I'm just going to go for this title in Mickey Thompson. And so I think Lauren and I, and I think it was 89, we went out and, and won the championship, and I retired from that, the four-wheelers in 89, started racing cars. But we were racing cars before that, you know, in the Mickeys. We were doing both when Lauren sponsored me in that Super 1600 car. Right. So I was kind of up and down on both of those. Yep, because I got to work on your your sixteen hundred car and yeah, and, uh, yep. But I think we were doing that like in eighty eighty eight, wasn't it or something eighty nine? Uh, something along in there. I didn't start with you guys until ninety. But I, we I, did the Mickey's. Lauren and I won the Mickey's title in in eighty nine in four wheelers. And then I didn't start coming to the Mickey's with him until ninety. Okay, well, I was then, done. Yep. Maybe doing some cars. You were, you I were, we weren't doing a car thing with you totally then. I think the car thing tire started in 91. Okay. Um, that's when I think it started. And, yep. and I was working on the, yeah, court. I was racing some super light races too. Remember? Yep. I did some of those things for a while. I drove them super lights out there in my truck, the, the, super <laughs> light in the back of the truck and the trailer yep. with the car and the quad. And we went right. to your house and spent uh, like a week at your house. And then we went to Dallas, Fort Worth and raced. Yeah. Yeah. And it rained on the way home. Like I've never seen it rain. In my life. <laughs> yeah. And then you tried to get me killed in the pond outside your house. How's that? That alligator that was in there. <laughs> He's bigger than both of us. In, in my pond? Yeah. I don't remember that. Yeah, there was an alligator. It could be. I watched an alligator last night. Matter of fact, on the property I have, I have some hunting property down south, and I watched an alligator swim right up there where I was last night. So, pretty cool. 
you remember when we were mudding on the on the four wheel drives? Yeah. And he said, "Bring a change of clothes, you know, and we'll rinse off in the river, and then we'll go on." And we're yeah, out yeah, there, yeah. Neck deep in the river, and you're like, "Yeah, I wouldn't <laughs> be swimming that far out." <laughs> yeah. Why? There's alligators out there, dummy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if you're in Louisiana, there's a good chance of that. Well, we were driving around out there, uh, and you were showing me quite a few things. I, oh, yeah. I really enjoyed that. I, I wish I could come back and do it more. It's just with all the things that we do out here, we're still racing. We're still yeah. doing. We're still doing the ATV thing that that you left behind. Right. That's right. Well, I I enjoy watching those guys. I mean, that's I mean they're competitive as ever out there. I can tell you that they sure are. It, it's it's changed a lot, and it's became more discipline. You know, you don't have guys that transition too much. If you're running motocross, you they generally stay motocross. If you're running desert, you you maybe will do some off road style racing, but you're a desert guy. Um, you have very few crossovers. Uh, your mm. your off road guys like that race works. Um, and some of your cross-country guys, they can transition into the desert fairly well. The problem for the cross-country guys is the high speed gets to them. Yeah. They're, just not, they're just not used to it. When you're racing the woods, you know how you're not hitting an edge at 70 miles an hour. That's right. you got to be a little brain dead to do that. Well, see, we didn't have a choice. They put us wherever they said, you know, this is your job. Get out there and learn how to do it. So <laughs> we didn't know any different. So we just went out and, and tried to be competitive everywhere we went, you know, but there was a few desert guys, but I mean, for the most part, all our Honda guys were the fastest guys out in the desert. I think, I mean, we didn't ever get beat put it that way from someone out riding us, you know? So, uh, but there were some competitive teams out there, but you know, Bruce, he was, uh, Bruce and Wes both, you know, that's the one thing I regret about racing is Wes, you know, he was so freaking the dad, I mean, he wouldn't let people talk to me. He wouldn't let, I mean, he was so, I mean, he just kept me like in a little hole because he was so protective, you know? And everybody's like, yeah, we never got to talk to you because Wes wouldn't let us, you know, he kept me kind of bundled up, you know, right. <laughs> but, and I've heard other people say that, man, yeah, you would never get out anywhere because he wouldn't let you go anywhere. I'm like, well, you know, we were just, you know, trying to win championships and that's all what Bruce and Wes, I mean, they were just, they were tough. So, but it was good because we did win them a lot of championships. Well, Bruce was a smart dude, too. Yeah, well, he knew that desert, too. And logistically, the desert is where it's at. I mean, you got to be fast, but you better have all those pits right. You better have everybody organized and, and knowing what's going on because one screw up. And, you know, that's why it makes the pit guys so important because they have to be, you know, in those days, especially halftime, you didn't even have radio. You know, I mean, you you could hopefully rely on the guy to relay everything, but you know, it wasn't cell phones. There wasn't all this junk you have nowadays. So, uh, I mean, you had to really be right, and uh, you know, everything has to be right today too. Don't get me wrong, but it just—I think it was just way more important those days than it is now because there's just so much communication communication now that you didn't have then. So logistically, that's why I think Bruce was so uh, such an you know, a huge advantage for us because he was so organized. He was just overly organized, if that makes sense. Well, we get spoiled in today. Like if I'm going to chase a desert race in Mexico or, or up here or even in South America, 
we're so spoiled because there's something within reach. There's a gas station. There's That's right. a mini mart. There's something we're, we're passing by something uh, everywhere. So, you know, very seldom, maybe in a couple of places in South America, did we go where we had to have, um, you know, we had to have uh, supplies where sure. in, when I was doing Baja in, in the, um, in the early or the later two thousands, we didn't take some days. I didn't even leave the pit or leave the camp with a cooler. That's oh. how stupid I was. But back when you were doing <laughs> it, you made sure you had everything because you didn't know if you were going to meet up with anybody, there was going to be a problem. No, I know. Hey, when I was down there, I pre-ran, I was pre-running on my, I had, we pre-ran on XR 600s. I was saying Nashio, I think, four or 500, four or 500 miles down. And I slid out and broke my foot. And so we're looking around and there's like, there's like a cross, you know, like a red cross, if you will, <laughs> that, and it was a mud hut. That was the, and they're like, you know, oh, we'll take you over here. So when I pulled my boot off, I had to ride back like 30 miles. So when I, I, I pulled my boot off, my foot was already just swelled up and it was black and blue. And I'm like, there's no way. I said, you guys take me back. I jumped in the freaking team truck, drove all night long, drove all the way. And I got back to San Diego the next morning and, and I had put a bag of ice on my foot when I just headed back. I drove myself all the way back 500 miles to get back to San Diego to get, to get my foot worked on because there was no way I was stopping in Mexico. You know, I mean, it just wasn't happening. So <laughs> well, it was broke all to pieces and I wasn't about to drive. I mean, I, I mean, I drove myself back out there. So. And then got to prehistoric. Yeah. Well, the the early eighties, there was, uh, you know, they were still learning Baja because they didn't start going down in there. And when they started racing it, what in the fifties or the sixties? Well, obviously it's been down there a long time and there was a lot of guys doing it way before I was. So, you know, I wasn't like the starter of it by any means, but I mean, it was just still so, you know, behind, compared to what what it is today you know i mean i think technology everything about everything is just you know obviously you got internet now and and you know facebook everybody i mean i got so many friends from mexico now they just they just want to know what what we're doing and and uh watching kyle develop and so that's been kind of interesting to to kind of just see the whole world come together you know it's people from everywhere that just you know like to hear and it's just crazy to me because i'm kind of more of a quiet guy and i don't really interact a lot never have been the social media guy but you know that's just where it is today and that's you know to me i don't like it personally i don't like the fact that you don't have to win anymore to be somebody and in my day they said if you can't win we can't use you and today all you got to have is a flat bill and a couple tattoos and you know tell them you're going to the race and you're cool well (laughs) that doesn't mean crap to me honestly i'll tell you just black and white i don't like it because i want you to win and that's the way I've trained Kyle. <clears throat> Kyle's more quiet. You know, he's not the blow and go guy. But that's what people are sponsor wise are looking for today. And and I get that. It's all about marketing. And, and in the old days, marketing was you had to win to get win ads. You know, in ATV News or Motocross Action or you know all the magazines. You know that Honda could do win ads. That's how it worked when I was there. Social media has changed all that. You could do backflips and do crazy and 
And, you know, not that those guys aren't good at what they do, but they're just, you know, you can be just a crazy dude, jump, you know, 50 cars and get, you know, a million likes and you're the man and get all kinds of money. But today, if you want to say, I want to just have a guy who can win championships and, and I want a guy that's consistent, doesn't mean crap today. It really doesn't. So uh, there's a lot of guys I could name that, that went that direction, never could win but they went and they were showboating and that's where they took their talent and they made a whole lot of money and more power to them for doing, but I'm kind of old school racer. I think it's about winning at the end of the day. Yeah. I'm kind of the, if we're going to do it, you know, my dad always taught us we're going there to win. We're not going there to get second. We're not going there to show that's up right. we're there to win. And, yes. and if, if we can't win, then why go? Well, it's about winning that championship. That's what I always say. You know, some days, you know, if you're racing really good guys, it's it's top-level guys. And so every day you don't line up perfect. Some days, you know, I always train to try to be beat the best guys on my worst days. So that's kind of how I train. But, you know, when everybody else is like, I'm riding every day, well, I started riding twice a day just because psychologically it helped me. Um, but I heard a guy say that one time. He said, I can ride every day. Well, then I started riding twice a day. Didn't tell anybody, but I started riding twice a day. And uh, so that's kind of how I competed. But that's why I could always hang in all the motocross races because, you know, you might be fast for the first half, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to eat you alive on the second half because I'm not slowing down. You know, and that's just kind of the way I – that was my mentality. So uh, it won me a lot of races too. Who in the three-wheeler days would you say was your fiercest competitor? Well, obviously, Jimmy and I had a good bunch of battles. You know, early on, obviously, Dean was pretty fast. Mike was pretty fast. Um, but Jimmy was always the guy I hated the most, and, he's, and he felt the same way about me. And I think that's what took us to a whole nother level. Uh, we were the two best guys at a certain time frame there. And, I mean, we just freaking hated each other. I mean, I couldn't stand him. The teams couldn't stand each other because, you know, we, we didn't protest them. They were protesting us. You know, it was always this freaking battle, but it was kind of what made racing intense. I would put it like that because, to me, you need that intensity level to take you to that next out-of-body experience that you have, that you need to have sometimes during racing because if you get that passion, I mean, I remember, I don't remember where we were, but, I mean, I'm like literally, we're kicking his front forks and all that crap because he kept sticking them inside there, and I would kick them out, you know, to push him out and, I mean, that's just how crazy some of it got. You know, we crashed it, and we were both on the front cover of Crash and Burn magazine. We were crashed at Columbus, Ohio, when he broke his tailbone. But he went, I mean, he came up, and he actually passed me, and then I'm going back at him, and we just locked tires going off a jump, and, it, and we just endowed both of us. Mm. So, uh, but he ended up breaking his tailbone on that, that particular crash. But we've always been uh, very, very fierce competitors, and – uh, like I say, I think he only won one championship, and that was the one that Honda wouldn't let us go to, to all of them. I think I won every one on the West Coast, but that year that they raced on the on the pavement some, you know, like they raced on concrete and had those metal ramps, Honda wouldn't let us do it. And so with him going to the West Coast and we couldn't go, he actually won that championship. But I think that's the only championship that he actually won. Wow. Have you have you spoken to, to Jimmy since? You guys yeah. see each other? Yeah, I went somewhere. I can forget where it was, or maybe I saw him at one of my truck races when I was racing the Pro 2 at Lucas. I think I saw him some there, maybe one of those. But, uh, 
I mean, he was a he was a serious competitor, and he was always competitive on the flat track stuff. Not so much on the motocross because I don't think he trained as much as we did, but he was always extremely fast. And the Kawasaki's are really fast on flat track. So, so he's the guy, huh? He was the he was well, your nemesis. He was the guy that that you know I wanted to be the worst. I'll put it that way. I could not stand. I would always tell everybody that in the magazines in those days, when you open them up like a month or two later, you see your name down second or third or whatever, and they may not know why that he beat you, but he it shows his name in front of you. I literally could not stand. I hate it. <laughs> so, I mean, but that's just the competitor in me. But they didn't know what happened. You understand whether you crashed or got taken out or whatever it was. But bottom line is they won or if they just beat. But, uh, I mean, the year we won the championship and I was in Olympia, Washington, they sent 12 guys. I think it was 12. Kawasaki sent 12 guys up there to make sure I didn't win. And Tim Helter, I never will forget it, he said, my soul reason sole goal is to take you out and he did a fantastic job <laughs> because he i whole shotted i turned in turn one and he squared t-ball me right on knocked me slap over the top of the barn we we're in olympia washington i never will forget it and i'm like holy crap you know i mean you just don't know what happened you know so i picked myself up started riding i don't remember what they were like 20 30 minute motos but it was outdoor motocross race. So I, I came from dead last and came all the way. Steve Mendenhall ended up winning the race, but I finished just right behind Steve Mendenhall, finished second, still won the championship. And that's that's all it needed. That's all you needed. Is to so, and I tell everybody, you know, I won a lot of races. My most memorable race was that race, Olympia, Washington. Because you came from back? Just came from dead last. Never give up. Don't quit. Came back. Finished second, won the championship. So that was my you know. that was my that was my second national ever uh, that I ever went to. And really, uh, yep. I didn't know you were there. Yeah, then you remember time. that race, then. <laughs> yeah, I do. I remember. Yeah. I, I don't remember all the details. I remember you going in, coming back and almost winning it. You know, yeah. the quads were there that year. The Suzuki, they may have been Suzuki quads. Yeah. Here. Yeah. Hey, I never will forget. I was in the, we were at the, I think it was a SEMA show and we were still all through. No, it wasn't the SEMA show because we were in Houston. We were at the Houston Supercross and they had a big, like a, you know, say a big UTV. I mean, not UTV, wasn't UTV then, but ATVs and motorcycles show somewhere in the convention center during the Supercross. And one of, they had those Mizukis there with that, you know, they had the front, they were orange and they had the little front tires on at that time. And so we walked by them and we all laughed at them, you know, and they were like, you guys are going to be on one of these one day. <laughs> and we all laughed and go, yeah, right. I said, I'd run over everything out there if that thing was, I had a wheel stuck out there. Isn't that crazy? Yep. Now we're all there. So uh, it's kind of like me building the, the, the UTVs back remember when your dad welded it all together i took that foreman in 86 wasn't it, it was with a, that yellow yeah. foreman and i cut it all up to build a side-by-side out of it yep and you and so that's how far back i said utvs were going to be but in 90 i want to say it's 92 the magazine in dirt was i said they did an interview on a buggy that i built after that you know the that uh i built one out of a 450 honda <clears throat> but 
I said, this is going to be the biggest transition from four-wheelers to UTVs or side-by-sides as it was from three-wheelers to four-wheelers. And I said that in 92. And now look at UTV world. It's crazy. It's just an, it, yeah, it's I just wish I could have got a part of that idea. <laughs> <laughs> well, how do you but, know? How do you know you didn't start it? Do you know? Because the seed got planted and, I know. and, and somebody read a magazine or, or seen something or, you know, you know, the, well, the, see, the pilot. You know, they did, Dirtwells did the article on my buggies, right? Well, then Yamaha actually called me and said, can we come down and look at your machines? And I said, sure. Well, about, we kind of talked about it. He said, well, I'll be back in touch. Well, he calls me about a week later and he says, are you the same Marty Hart you used to ride for American Home? I said, yes. He said, okay, we'll get back to you. Never heard from him again. Okay. So then I got, um, I had a guy call me and said, look, you know, can we come look at your buggies? We build this. It was like a gator, you know, that John Deere gator had open belt drive. You know, it's like for golf carts, you know. So he, he's wanting to build one more UTV oriented, you know, to handle what we do with them, which is, you know, go through swamps and, you know, four wheeler is just hard to beat a four wheeler to a four wheeler. So I just said, look, I don't want to lose any dependability that Honda or Flares or Kawasaki or whoever puts into them by building a side by side. They just didn't build one that was capable. The mule was a joke, you know, but that was, you know, kind of the only thing even remotely close. So we started building smaller scale. Mine was along the line of the first Rhino, the Yamaha Rhino. Well, if you know the whole story behind it, we actually went and I, this company hired me to build them a concept vehicle. The guy who was working on the, the project with me and my scale, and you reverse, reverse engineer any vehicle. So my spec sheet that I said, I want this to be is exact of the Rhino. And the guy that was working on the project and took all my specs and he went to work for Yamaha. Then the Rhino shows up and I got a set of drawings up here in my, in my um, office that is the Rhino before it was built for the most part, spec wise, except wow. for some of the front end stuff is different, <laughs> but they sure did. But that vehicle was one of the first ones on the scale that I wanted it to be. Obviously they're bigger now, but that was kind of to still be able to get through the woods. So Yamaha did a fantastic job of building that first Rhino back in the day right and and then and then they stopped well they had to you know well, so it could be a blessing in disguise because if you were an idiot and you didn't really understand how they would turn over then you know like anything else that's why they can three wars you know right but they were dangerous you know i'll give them that <laughs> so that's why i think it was so cool because Whenever I was racing three-wheelers, you only had a handful of guys that could be competitive. When we all switched to four-wheelers, it just brought a whole group of guys up there more competitive because they're just easier to ride. I don't care what anybody says. It's hard to ride a three-wheeler and it is four period. Yes, it is, uh, 100%. Yes. And if you, look at, if you look at ATV racing or quads in, in general, most of the guys that are dominant are older. Because it takes longer to develop the skills and the strength to ride an ATV at the level you need to, to be competitive, whether it be in works or whether it be in Baja or best in the desert or even back in the motocross. I mean, you have young guys like Joel Hetrick that, that guy's, that guy's, that guy's pretty phenomenal. Sure. He's been riding ATVs since he was a little kid. So he is a seasoned veteran for as young as he is that's right 
you know, Chad Weenan. He's in his 30s, deep, you know, on on the closer side to 40 than 30. You know, and, and I know usually in motocross, you're an old man at 25, you know. Exactly. Well, in the ATV industry, you know, Doug Eichner was winning the championships That's right. when he was over 40. That's right. So you your your dominant factor or your your factor with the with the quads allows you to be older because you need the experience and the man strength to ride them. That's right. Yeah, I agree. But things have changed now because I don't think people have that same mentality. It's like me being able to race for as long as I have. Um, I think it's just, you know, your ability to get out there and just say, I'm going to do it. You know what I mean? But that experience takes you so far. It really does. But in that world, you do have to still be in shape. So that's what's phenomenal about those guys still being in a race at that age against these 20-year-olds, you know, because like Rodney Gentry, for instance, when he came up, man, he was just like, I mean, he was just relentless. And, you know, we could train our brains out. And he's like, he didn't care. He'd just go out there and he would just happy to be there and he was riding and never got tired but he was from florida so he rode in a lot of sand so i think that made him stronger he was just i mean his arms wasn't that big around but he just rode like he didn't care and he just had a blast just hanging out and uh but that's what i told them guys back early i told wes i said that's the kid you got to watch because rodney was really fast and smooth didn't crash a lot and uh but yeah it's pretty amazing to yeah, see the guys that are 40 he had a stint with Honda too, didn't he? He did. He came on for a year. I think he. I'm not sure if he won a championship. I think he did. I think, I think he won a championship for him. Yeah. Didn't he win it in '86 on a on a quad? He, I'm not sure exactly what year it was, but he. I think he did win a championship. Yeah, I think it was '86, the first year mm-hmm. that the four wheeler came out. Okay. That's. Yeah. I, 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 I think I Denton took over after that. Denton. He won a bunch after that. I think when we all quit. Denton. No. Uh, he took over. He, he was dominant. Yeah, he was a long time, long run at it. But I think he even won some when we raced, too. You know, he was he was fast, always fast, good competitor. Yeah, I mean, the really smart guy. Yes. Know, talented as well. Yep. You know, we were talking, I was reading something about him the other day about his, uh, everybody was talking about him being the highest paid guy in a in a a group of independents, you know, back when right. they were gone, he was making sure. money. Everybody else was was paying out of pocket. Right, right. Well, you know, I mean, he knew how to play the game. That's right. Well, and he was good too. He could win. That's what counts. Well, as you're carrying I mean, the number one that many years. Yeah, that's right. You deserve a paycheck. That's right. You know, I mean, there's just if you can't get if you can't that, that's what the sport is lost is the fact that the tiers, you know, when you get to the pro level, okay, yeah, you're a pro, you have, uh, you know, a semi-factory ride, but I mean, it's it's factory of what you call today. The, the independent shops will build you a bike and, and take you to the races, but it's not, you know, it's not like a Honda van pulling up and, you know, the Honda guy's taking care of you. No, but, that's the way of the UTV world. But Lenny, today, it's crazy. Racing has changed so much. Since, you know, you live to be a factory rider. That's, that's what it was about, right? That was your goal. Uh, or at least it was my goal. And because I just love racing. I live, eat, and sleep it. But nowadays, I mean, people, these factories, they're not giving these guys anything. And they're, I mean, 
you know, we're like top of the line. I mean, they don't get any faster than Kyle is, you know what I mean? And we're getting a parts discount on parts. That's it. I mean, there's nothing out there. There's some factory guys. There's a couple of guys with Can-Am that's making some money doing it. And they're really good. But it's so many people are just throwing a freaking full-blown wrap on your toter home and 32. I mean, I got, I got a freaking toter home, big-blown trailer. And they're wrapping the whole freaking thing for a parts budget. You know what I mean? It's crazy. But so Kyle and I are just kind of hanging out, doing our own thing, kind of racing what series we want to. Because if they're not going to step up to the plate, we're not going to put a bunch of crap everywhere. You know, but we need, I just hate it that, that the factories don't have to step up like they used to. But we went to it earlier. When we were talking about it's not about winning anymore. It's about marketing. And um, so all you want, all they want to do is, is uh, plaster that thing all over Facebook and, and uh, you know, tell a joke about it or, you know, jump off a cliff with it. Well, so, they're <laughs> willing to buy the, the T-shirt for Polaris and wear it in the pits when yeah. before, you know, if you were, if you wanted to be a factory guy, you had to earn the factory That's right. jacket. Yeah. Now you can buy them. And, and, and these guys will run around and they're, they're not affiliated with Yamaha, but they're wearing a Yamaha jacket and right. he just rides a Honda. So he buys a Honda jacket and he's just given, he's paying to advertise for them. <laughs> no. And they know that that's the thing. They know it. They, they, they've got it. And uh, so I think that, you know, it's going to have to go through a little shakedown stage, I think. And then I think this UTV deal is too, it's like ATVs or anything else. It's kind of go a cycle, but you know, UTVs are kind of went down their cycle and up and down. And, and it's like they come and they go. Does that make sense? Yeah. But the UTV deal, I think, is so new that everybody's trying to find themselves. But I think that eventually there's going to be about, you know, 10 guys that could actually make money doing UTVs. There's probably about three or four doing it right now that's actually doing really well with UTVs. But, I mean, it's crazy. The series Kyle and I are doing pays forty grand to win it. Um. And that's crazy for UTV money. Any any racing money, like four wheelers or anything else, you can't go make forty grand in a race series. Yeah, you you ain't gonna get forty grand out of a quad race. No, and so neither you can with a Pro Two. I got a complete Pro Two program sitting in my shop out here, and I can't race it because I can't get it funded for, for Kyle. That sport is just in the toilet. Lucas can't get enough guys to run. They didn't even run. They're not running Pro Four this year. And you're spending about 30, 40 grand a race to do it. It costs half a million dollars to run that series for a year. And that's at a kind of a minimum in a Pro 2 program when I when I was racing. Well, that's if you want to be a top guy. And and those guys are spending a lot more now. But um, but anyways, and you you make twelve hundred bucks. We can take a UTV that you can build for twenty five, thirty thousand and go race for 40 grand a win. And then that's not counting your, your race to race winnings either. I mean, that's, that's to me, that's where the sport's headed. It's just, you know, that's why I think this, this Texplex deal is going to be a, a big, a real deal. Well, when I went to Dakar in 2009, the guy spent 300 and some thousand dollars to get third place and get a check for 400 bucks. Wow. I tell you what, I think the four-wheeler guys really should hit this Texplex guy up because if we could have quad racing at the same time, this track is phenomenal. It's like an outdoor motocross. It would be the most awesome four-wheeler track ever. And I'll tell you why. 
because it's UTVs and four-wheelers, they kind of want to be on the same page. Does that make sense? Right. About the, the, the jump angles, the distance, the bowl turns. There's just a lot of characteristics there that I think could, could you know, and they're pretty wide. You know, a lot of the quad tracks that I see, they're just, it's hard to pass on them. They're, they're tough, right? Because a quad just needs a lot of entry apex type turns. And, and, but they close them off on exit, which shuts everything off. And that's what I've kind of preached about this thing is open up the exit so that you can carry speed and, and stay with the guy instead of him pinching you off, shutting you down, brake check, whatever. You can't do that. So if you, if you really set those turns up right, you can carry speed. And you can have a lot better racing. And these guys, I mean, it's fun to watch Kyle and Hunter and Cody just go at it out here, and they're they're right together while the race. So it's it's a really fun race to watch. That's so incredible. Yeah, it's. I hope the promoters are listening to you because all of the years that you have had doing what you do in your craft, racing, whether it be in a truck, car, UTV, motorcycle, you know, quad, uh, three wheeler. You, you bring so much knowledge to the building of the course. So I hope they're listening. Well, I hope so. But, you know, that's kind of what I always look at is there's a lot of good track builders out there. But, I mean, that cornering is, is to me, that design of the corner jumps is always, you know, whatever. You know, <laughs> you're always going to have a guy that can do jumps or not do them, whatever. But. To me, how you lay one out, and, the, and, the, and then the apex to exits are just, to me, the most important part because they just they always like the entrance, and, and then they'll put it here, but it's where it flows from apex to exit, I think, is what always matters because that's where all your time is made because you're carrying all that momentum. I mean, braking is one thing, but apex to exit is where the time is made. You speed corner speed. I think so. Yep. And, and, and if you're not scrubbing, you're either scrubbing it off by keeping stepped out too long. You know, you can't get it switched and, and, and it being happy to leave it because you're just spinning or you're scrubbing speed. So right. to me, that's where it's at. And the faster you corner, the faster you're going to go. That's right. And the, 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 the bigger your lead's going to be or the way you're going to catch the leader is. Well, by. that's where the tents are made or lost is right. in the exits, I think. I think I agree. It's the same with the quads. If you have yes. better corner speed than everybody else, you're faster. That's right. You know, I mean, that's Bo Barron on the West Coast. That's one of the reasons why he is as dominant as he is, is because he's got great corner speed. He takes right. great lines through the turns and doesn't lose his momentum. That's right. So, yeah, if you can tap and go, that's, that's kind of the name of the game because everybody wants these big, big, big breaks. And, Really, it should be a tap and go and scrub too going in because you know you're going to scrub going in so you can free up going out and right. you don't have to, to shut her down on breaks because you shut her down, you got to get it going again. So, <laughs> you know, that tap and go is, is more important than that shut her down speed. It's easier to get a quad or a three wheeler back up to speed than it is to get a car back up to speed. Yeah. So well, when you got nine, 900 horsepower and a 4,000 pound truck. You can imagine all it wants to do is spin. Right. So you can't shut it down. So it's more important than ever to learn how to carry speed, especially on those dry slick tracks. You know, but, um, you know, motocross is obviously a little bit different. But when you got a dry slick, you better learn how to carry it. Did, did the three-wheeler 
four wheeler days teach you anything to drive in the truck in the Lucas types races? Well, all racing helps you. I don't care what kind it is, but you know, you, you first learn how to be a competitor. I think that's, what's huge. You know, I raced motocross early. Then, you know, I just kind of had a, when I left here, I had a, 125 Suzuki, RM125 in the back of my truck and a 3 oar when I went to California. And I just chose 3 oars because they were harder. And that's crazy because I could probably made a lot more money raising motorcycles. <laughs> but I just really, I just thought that the 3 oar was just the ultimate challenge. They were freaking trying to kill you the whole time you're on them. You know, they're trying to buck you off. <laughs> they didn't work. Uh, never did work, honestly. I mean, we had some good working bikes, don't get me wrong. But, you know, I mean, obviously for a three-wheeler, right, they didn't work. Because, I mean, you had, you know, freaking one shock. And, I mean, it was just crazy because they faded like swap me T-shirt. I mean, they were terrible, uh, especially in the desert. You know, you just go along there. And, I mean, it wasn't 100 miles. You were seemed like you were just – there was no oil left in it. So, you're just, you know, relying on the balloon tires to save you your back and we had these big padded seats and everything else and it's just crazy because they were all sacked out but uh but i mean that's just the day you know uh and i watched some of those old vintage motorcycle races and i just look at those bikes and those men were just men and i just love it because to me there's just so many sissies out there that ride today that you know they they uh, i think my eighth inch of preloads off or i think a 16th of an inch you know i listen to these guys today and i just cringe thinking you know, they can't go fast because this little tiny little thing is off or this tiny little thing. And, you know, I, I don't know. And I know all the old guys are probably the same way, but uh, they're just so spoiled. And I guess we just didn't have the, the I mean, we just rode them, whatever. I mean, we, we set them up as, as best we could. And we had good mechanics and we had good tuners and suspension tuners. But my point being, it's just, People are just so sissified today when it comes to this. When I hear them talk, and I think that especially the guys that are not fast saying it, and when I listen to them, I'm just going, geez, it's one thing if you're, you know, really fast. If you got Tomac or somebody sitting up there saying it, that's, that's one thing. But when you, you listen to these mid-pack guys, and I don't know, I don't get it. I was always taught, I don't care what the setup is when the green flag drops, right? you figure that's it out. I know that's what uh, Steve Carter was my mechanic with Honda. <clears throat> he says straight up, he said, I'm going to give you everything I can. You're going to have the best of everything. I'm going to do the very best job I can. But when you leave, whatever you choose to race with, you know, I'll put everything you want on it. But when you leave that starting line, you better win with it, period. Exactly. You turn the, uh, there you go. There you go. I, I agree. And, the and, low and battery light came on. <laughs> I mean, you're going to, you're going to cut off on me here shortly. I might. Yeah. Let's let, let me leave the, the fans with this. If you could give young racers the best advice to motivate their career, what would it be? I would say don't win for nobody else but you because that's the most important guy. Don't win for your dad or your mom or your buddy or your girlfriend. The only person you need to satisfy at the end of the day when you get done writing is you. And you better do it because you want to do it, not because they want you to do it. And if you'll do that, you'll win a lot more races. That's, that's pretty sound advice. 
you know, pretty sound advice. Well, Marty, I want to, I want to uh, ask you if you will sit down and talk with me again at another date. Um, sure. Maybe get uh, Kyle in there with you and, and he could uh, tell me about some of the things that you've taught him in the ways of, of racing. Uh, I know that I was never on your level and I never got to, to be your mechanic. I got to work with you a little and uh, your Hey, you got to swap on the middle. Of, you got to swap on the freeway with me one day. Well, yeah, that's <laughs> that was one thing. You know, <laughs> that was a higher resident experience right there. Well, the only thing you told me is, I'm sure glad you kept driving it. <laughs> <laughs> Never give up. Oh, hey, we 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 slid her to a stop in in, in one piece. That was crazy, but yeah, that was fun. <laughs> well, well, we'll tell that story next time. I really appreciate yep. you coming on ATV talk and I really appreciate you spending some time with me. Um, I, I, like I said, your thought process in racing is how I've always tried to be with the riders that I got to work with is, you know what, when the green flag drops, I don't care what happens. You've got to carry it. You carry it. Let's get it done. Well, you can't use a bunch of excuses. That's for sure. It can't, it just don't work. If you plan on winning a lot of races, uh, if you're the excuse guy, you might as well quit now. Right. But again, thank you so much. I'll let you get back to your evening with your family. Tell everybody back there I said hello, and it was my pleasure. And, and thank you very much, Marty. All right, Lenny. Good luck with your show. The team here at ATV Talk would love your feedback. Please email us at hello at ATVTalkPodcast.com. Duncan Technologies International. More than 33 years in the industry building racing programs and ATVs around the world. We build winners. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed the episode. If you did, don't forget to rate us on all the available platforms and share us with your loved ones. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook for more ATV Talk News. See you next time.